Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Marshall. Good afternoon and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. We will continue to provide you live programming, uh, hopefully for as long as we can. I'm fortunate I have a studio in Los Angeles built in my home. Um, And in addition, um, uh, you will continue to be able to see me on TV, on social media, read my columns. I'll be writing about the primaries in three out of the four states uh, tonight. This afternoon, we are going to be talking a lot about coronavirus. It is a pandemic. There's a lot of information out of out here, and there's a lot of misinformation out there as well, sadly. We are going to be talking with a great guest. I'll tell you more about him in a bit. But right now, we're going to kick it off as we always do at the top of the program when I'm here in the driver's seat, or I'm not driving really. Marky Mark from Aldermat Executive Producer does that. And let's check out what's ripped. First, I want you to hear, we're going to play a little audio about the director of the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, condemning the tweet from the president calling this virus China virus when he was being questioned by Congresswoman Lois Frankel, a Democrat from the great state of Florida who is having their primary today. Take a listen. You said that this virus is expansive in Italy and South Korea now in this country. It is absolutely wrong and inappropriate to call this the, the Chinese coronavirus. That would, I, I assume you would agree with that. Yes. China was the first phase. Um, Korea and Iran was the second phase with Italy, now all of Europe. I mean, just, just if, if, you, if you looked at even just, just last night, I think if you have a second, just just over the last 24 hours, there was, om- there was almost 1,500 new cases in Italy, right. 1,500 just... in Germany. Okay, but thank you. You answered the question. Thank you. There's been some other real misleading statements that are wrong. I'm going to read some. If you if you agree with these statements, just let me know. Um, our tests have been perfect. That this is like the coronavirus, like the regular flu. That it's a hoax. Uh, that anyone who wants to be tested can be tested, that the number of cases will be so- soon be down to zero, that magically disappear, you can still go to work, and it's okay to shake hands. This would be misleading. Since I'm not hearing anyone want to correct that, I'm assuming that you would agree that those are misleading statements. I don't think I heard any uh, that I would say is, is not, other than uh, that I do believe that availability of testing in the last two days through question lab is finally getting us where we need okay. to be. And that was, as I mentioned, um, questioning of the CDC uh, director 
um, the questioning of of the CDC director by Congresswoman Lois Frankel, Democrat from the state of Florida. Uh, That is, uh, let's check up next. Uh, Let's rip another. Luciano Borio once worked on President Donald Trump's National Security Council, and she left last year after a purge of the Global Health Unit. So when she realized how bad the coronavirus outbreak was likely to get and saw that the Trump administration was not taking the necessary steps to contain it, all she could do was take her case to the public. Quote, act now to prevent an American epidemic. That was the headline of her op-ed. Want to know when it was? January 28th in the Wall Street Journal, in which she called for widespread testing and beefing up hospital preparedness. Quote, the Wuhan coronavirus continues to spread at an alarming rate. She warned us in a subsequent op-ed a few days later. We didn't pay attention, did we? We didn't believe it. And maybe we didn't believe it because some of our officials and the leader of our nation, who should and does not and has not and continues not to lead by example, didn't believe it. They poo-pooed this. Oh, it's in Wuhan. It's far away. Now, the president saw the situation much differently. He blocked some Chinese nationals from entering the country in late January. But his public message was simple. This is no big deal. We know he was wrong. But in fact, the Trump administration hadn't shut down the coronavirus. The testing that Borio and other experts called for never took place, even as the president continued to downplay the risks and make a series of false statements that experts say muddled public understanding. Now, as the virus continues to spread across our nation, our nation is reeling. Schools are closed. Sporting and cultural events shut down. Our economy is in danger of lapsing into a recession. And as many as 50 now Americans have died. An examination of how the president and his administration responded to the coronavirus outbreak that was first documented back in December of late last year reveals a story of missed opportunities, a story of mismanagement, and a president who resisted the advice of experts urging a more aggressive response. All the while, the president made a series of upbeat claims, some of which were flatly false, including that the number of cases was declining in the U.S. That's a lie. They're increasing not just day by day. You know, a week or two ago, I think it was last week, I was on national television on a show for an hour I was co-hosting called Outnumbered on Fox News Channel where I'm a contributor. By In the hour that I sat on that couch co-hosting, 50 more people had contracted the virus. That's in one hour that we knew of that had been reported at that moment in time. And he also had mentioned that anybody who needs a test gets a test. We don't have tests and we don't have enough tests. We also don't have enough ventilators and respirators. Now, on Friday, the president moved to take steps that experts said should have been done weeks ago. Some people say we've missed 60 days on this, declaring a national emergency and launching a new broader testing program. His own advisors acknowledged to NBC News that the failure to focus on widespread testing was their biggest misstep. And the U.S. is behind most industrialized nations in understanding the extent of infection within its borders. If we all went back, we obviously would have hit on the testing part more. That's what one official told NBC News, quote, so far, the Trump administration has failed miserably. That's Susan Rice, President Obama's national security advisor. She wrote about this in The New York Times. She goes on to say, quote, the number of cases in the U.S. is growing exponentially and our health system is ill-equipped to determine the scope of the disease or to treat the explosion of serious cases that will almost certainly soon present, end quote. My husband's an orthopedic surgeon, and he is having to tell people that are hurt and have torn ACLs or meniscus tears. You've got to wait 30 to 60 days for your surgery. 
He is telling me that the hospitals are frightened because in three weeks, they're not going to have enough beds for everybody. They don't have enough healthcare professionals for the rate this is growing. This is a reality. This is not the media hyping this up. This is not a democratic hoax. This is real. This is real. The fact that the president doesn't stand six feet from all the people around him on that podium is not a leader leading by example or taking it seriously. We have leaders out there, whether it's governors, mayors, or other Republican politicians telling people to go eat at Bob Evans. I'm going to take my family out to dinner, to the restaurant. Even the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, shame on him. He went to the gym. You have to lead by example. There are so many models that show what social distancing do. Look, I have two kids who are going to start homeschooling tomorrow. They're home, okay? They're outside in the yard playing with the neighbor's kids. They've washed their hands. There are three kids with my two, five, not touching. It's not fun. And yesterday it was pouring rain. Many of us are working from home. Some people can't. Some people won't have money coming in. We're going to get one or two checks from the government. We don't know how much that's going to be. When it is, how long it's going to keep going. This has been a screwed up misstep every step of the way. Now, there are people now that say the administration is starting to do a good job. New York Governor Cuomo has mentioned that today. Even my governor in the state of California, Gavin Newsom, has mentioned the Trump administration has been excellent. And, and that's as of now. So we don't need to go back and cry over spilt milk. But the problem is we were ill-equipped as leader, as a leader in the free world, by the way. One of the reasons is because, you know, people say, oh, there wasn't funding denied that, you know, Congress, yeah, Congress overrode what the president wanted in one respect. But there were other areas when we didn't respond to Ebola that had preventative pandemic emergency medical service areas cut. People's jobs cut. The woman who wrote the article I talked about at the onset of this discussion in Ripped cut. Now, there are missed warning signs, many. The outbreak began late last year, experts believe. They believe it happened in a seafood market in Wuhan, China. There are a lot of conspiracy theories. There is a bio, bio lab in Wuhan, China. This did not come from our military or theirs. Could somebody have worked in that lab and got out and had some kind of coronavirus? It's possible. There are people that say in that fish market, somebody bought a bat and ate it, a snake and ate it, a rat and ate it, or even fish. Who knows? On, on December 31st, Associated Press reported out of China, it was one of the first English language news accounts to do so, a mysterious new virus. Quote, Chinese experts are investigating an outbreak of respiratory illness in the central city of Wuhan that some have likened to the 2002-2003 SARS epidemic. That's how the story began. Now, initially, the language even of the World Health Organization was conservative in a statement that uh, – the disease on January 14th, about the first case outside of China in Thailand, they said there was no clear evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Hmm. The agency soon stopped saying that. By mid-January, it was clear the virus was spreading well beyond China. In the United States, the CDC and Prevention Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned Americans on January 6th to take precautions of traveling to China. The next day, the CDC's Emergency Operations Center activated a COVID-19 incident management system, an emergency management tool used to direct operations, deliver resources, and share information. On January 8th, CDC issued an alert about the disease, but the agency was without one of its crucial partners in combating such a threat. The CDC would have worked closely with the NSC's global health unit, but it was disbanded. Example of what I'm talking about. And by the way, let me tell you places that don't have it, okay? I got a lot, I got a lot of flack, but... I just was in Cabo, San Lucas, Mexico. Zero cases. 
No pandemic, no alarm. Less than 30 cases in the country of Mexico that we know with testing currently all in Mexico City. The Bahamas, no cases. Many countries in Africa, no cases. Now, it's not just weather because there are people right now that are having very warm weather. And we're going to ask our guest about that because there's a lot of misinformation regarding temperature and coronavirus and how, how much time it lasts outside the body. But one of the things the Bahamas did, and I say that because we're supposed to be going there in a few weeks, and I'll see if that's going to transpire, materialize. But what they did is when they heard there was a coronavirus, they shut their borders to Chinese incoming flights, flights from China. Their citizens had to be quarantined two to three weeks, tested, test positive before reentering. Zero cases. Zero We didn't do that. You have thousands on spring break this week. You can see aerial photos from uh, local news in Florida showing aerial views of millennials partying it up on the beach. Thousands of them. No, no social distancing there. People aren't listening. Elderly people going out. I saw them at the supermarkets. Thank God my mother is bloody listening and staying home for a change. Normally she doesn't listen. People out there have never had the flu shot. Still refuse. My mother still refuses the flu shot. Pneumococcal pneumonia shot. This, 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 we have a lot of problems here. Our government, what it did, the lies coming out of China, not listening to science. Once again, we have that problem here, especially the conservative politicians. And then our own stubbornness and disbelief because there's so many people that bow down to Trump as their leader. They believed this is. U.S. intelligence analysts flagged the mysterious Chinese outbreak. The National Center for Medical Intelligence, which is part of the Defense Intelligence Agency, reported in early January that 59 people had been stricken ill. That's what a U.S. intelligence official told NBC News. The numbers quickly mushroomed. 548 were sick, 17 dead, almost overnight. And that got our attention, their attention, all officials' attention. January 21st, authorities disclosed that a man in Washington state was infected. And that was the first confirmed case in the United States. Eight days later, January 29th, the president created, announced the creation, finally, of a coronavirus task force to lead the U.S. response. And at the time, the White House said the task force was being led by Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar. Azar was a logical choice because there was no senior person at the White House with experience in public health. In 2018, remember, Trump fired his Homeland Security Advisor Tom, Thomas Bossert, whose portfolio included global pandemics. The next month, National Security Advisor John Bolton disbanded the NSC's Global Health Unit, another non-believer in science. Rear Admiral Timothy Zimmer, the top official in charge of a pandemic response, he left the job. So did Borio. Title? Director for Medical and Biodefense Preparedness. None of them was replaced. That meant Trump had no top advisors in the White House with expertise in global pandemics. You organize your NSC around the threats you care about, said Jeremy Cognac who led the U.S. government's response team to international disasters under the Obama administration. Now, pandemics were deemed a low priority for the Trump administration and for his national security team and other public health experts. Now, on January 31st, the Trump administration suspended entry into the U.S. by foreign nationals who had traveled to China within the prior 14 days, excluding Hong Kong and Macau. The rule didn't apply to lawful U.S. residents and their immediate family members. Can I tell you something? I just got back from Cabo. When I was at the airport, a China air flight landed next to ours. Thousands of Chinese were in customs, hundreds off that plane, 
thousands in customs coming into the country. And I looked and most of them were carrying Chinese, not American passports. In addition, when I was exiting out departures because arrivals was too crowded for the driver picking us up, there were hundreds, if not thousands of Chinese in line to fly again on these airlines. I asked the customs agent, what the heck is going on? I thought we weren't allowed flights from China. He said, we can't prevent American citizens from entering the country. We have flights from Iran, South Korea, Spain. And he said, all today. And this was on Sunday, just to let you know. So we're not being told the truth, folks. We haven't really prevented flights from other countries coming in. We have over a dozen coming from Turkey. Did you know that? We have over a dozen coming from Turkey. It was in the news today. So in a sense... The horse was already out of the barn. U.S. intelligence agencies have been reporting that the Chinese government was hiding the true number of infected people. Current and former officials told NBC News, quote, we were aware that they were not being forthright or honest with the world. Well, we're going to be forthright and honest with you. And we're going to talk to you about that with our guest. You've heard him before. We are glad to have him with us today. And we're going to be talking with him uh, uh, Jamie Metzel, author of the highly acclaimed book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering, the Future of Humanity, advisor to the World Health Organization. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back with him. Back with you right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Good to have you with us. And like I said today, advisor to the World Health Organization, the WHO, and technology futurist, Jamie Metzel is our guest. Also author of the highly acclaimed book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. He says that the COVID-19 has the potential to be a much greater global crisis than 9-11 and will require the type of wise global leadership that we certainly seem to be lacking now. Jamie, I talked with Brad Bannon, who sits in for me. Uh, Jamie, and has his own program as well. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Jamie Metzl is in the house. Good afternoon and welcome, sir. Thanks so much, Leslie. Happy to be here. And uh, sorry that you uh, heard me sneezing. Uh, we had uh, my my mute button unmuted by itself. Yeah. We have some no, but technology. I think it's great. We show that we're all in this together, and everyone, when they hear a sneeze, we get. Scared and are you know we're we're so attuned to these bodily functions that we've ignored. It's a new world. Um, I have so many questions for you. My husband's an orthopedic surgeon; would love to be here and ask you questions because yes. you know ortho- orthopods don't know anywhere near as much as the ER docs or internal medicine docs regarding this, and even they uh, are kept in uh, the dark. The dark. You said that this has the potential to be a much greater global crisis than 9/11, and will require the type of wise global leadership that we seem to be lacking. If you were to advise Donald Trump right now, what would you be telling him and the rest of his administration to do starting right at this moment going yeah. forward with regard to COVID-19? I think it's a really important point, Tim. We've talked about, and I spoke with your with your colleague, Brad, um, about all of the terrible mistakes up to this point, and we're paying the price for those things. And But let's just start here. Um, we need to really ramp up testing. I'm talking, I'm in close contact with my friends in Hong Kong, in South Korea, 
everybody is being tested in those places. If you, uh, everybody, you can go and get tested. If you're going and wanting to visit your parents or your grandparents, you can get tested before going. Because we don't have testing, we're really flying blind. That's, uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is the president of the United States has a sacred responsibility to lead, to heal. This is a really trying time. And yes, we have all kinds of logistical, logistical challenges and health challenges, but people are afraid. And when the president of the United States is not able to connect on a personal level, that magnifies the anxiety. But there's also just a huge amount of, job, of work to be done um, because as this virus spreads, a lot of our basic functions are going to have a really hard time functioning. I mean, we're talking about the surge in the healthcare system, but what happens when our doctors and nurses start to be infected with this virus? So there needs to be a lot more contingency planning. And this president who has been all about America first, if there's anything that's global, it's a virus. And we need to be working much closer with our allies, because even if we have a total lockdown in this country for a month, and even if we're able to bring the numbers down, they're just going to come right back up when we let up, unless there's a coordinated global effort. So in your opinion, the testing goes uh, hand in hand with the social distancing. Let's break that down and talk first about the testing. I want to play devil's advocate, if you don't mind, Jamie. Sure. What about people that say, well, what good is the test if you know you have it? The majority of people, it's sort of like the flu and you do what you would do for the flu. But, you know, you quarantine yourself, plenty of fluids, uh, plenty of rest, you know, eat healthy foods, uh, that type of thing. So why is the testing so important? What do we do with that data? So if we had a case first um, where everybody who felt the slightest bit of cold or cough or flu-like symptoms absolutely quarantined themselves and separated themselves out, even if they're in, in like, if they're a house with more people, they don't leave their room for two weeks, um, yeah, that would work. But what we find is people who are treating this like the flu, say, yeah, it's a little flu, I have a sniffle, I'm just gonna go and live my life. Um, so that's thing number one, is that we're spreading this massively, and we just have, number two is we have no idea how widespread this is. And so without that, there are a lot of people who are getting a false sense of security um, that, well, it's not here. And we had the president of the United States saying, oh, it's not here. Everyone just go about your, your lives. Devin Nunes was, say, was saying that. And they can say it because we don't have any information. I mean, if you're not doing any testing, you can guarantee that you will have zero confirmed cases of, uh, of COVID-19. So in order to respond, we need information. And then we need to be able to predict what's coming because we can look at Italy and we're a couple of here, I'm in New York, we're maybe like two, three weeks behind Italy. We're gonna look like Italy in two to three weeks. And so we have to start planning against those numbers. If we don't have the numbers, we're not going to be doing a smart job planning. Israel is tracking those who have tested positive. How do you feel about that method? Well, we have to track, but the, the problem is because we did such a terrible job of containing this thing in the beginning, of tracking it in the beginning, um, we've gone beyond the containment phase. We are now well into the 
uh, <clears throat> community spread phase where just the mathematics are so big that we can't track every every uh, contagion. But we certainly are going to need to deliver messages uh, to people again who are um, who are have either have been exposed and lots of people have been exposed, but they're asymptomatic or people who have it. And so if there are people who've been exposed and are asymptomatic, we need to tell them even whatever minimal stuff you were doing, going and being out in the world, um, you have to be in quarantine. The people you've touched need to be in, in quarantine. That's really important. When we look at China, South Korea, Italy, um, what can we learn from what they've done there? And what can we learn from what they didn't or haven't? So um, we'll take them in turn. China did an absolutely terrible job in the first few weeks of this crisis. Had China not done such a terrible, terrible job, a lot of this um, could have and probably would have been avoided. And so we need to be really clear about this. It may not be the time of finger pointing, but at some point um, we're going to have to really, uh, really look at that. But then China ramped up in a, re in a way that maybe only uh, China can do using very aggressive methods um, that are probably not what we would want to do here because we have a, a, uh, a democracy. But it looks like for now, China has contained it. South Korea had a major exposure in the beginning, but then they ramped up, uh, and especially we talked about testing, they ramped up with testing, and now they're doing about 200,000 tests uh, a day. And so, or no, I'm sorry, 200,000 uh, tests, and they're testing tens of thousands a day. And that's something that's way, way, way beyond what we have. And that's what's allowed them to keep tabs. And then they have a lot of very consistent social messaging. They don't have the president of Korea um, giving messages that are completely at odds with what their health authorities are, are saying. And so they've done you know, a pretty good job of starting to, to turn the tide. But the United States, we're more like Italy. Uh, we, we didn't have a good surveillance system. Uh, we didn't respond quickly. We let this thing grow. We didn't test. Uh, and that's why, unfortunately, when we see ourselves on that curve, we, at least here in, in New York and the rest of the country, not that far behind, um, we, if we want to know what our lives are going to be like in these next few weeks, we have to look at Italy. And uh, that's really frightening for people. We shouldn't panic, but we need to prepare. When you say we have to look at Italy, we're hearing reports that Italy cannot handle the volume of the sick, that people are being quarantined in their home with bodies that have died and are one to two days old and that they're letting the elderly 80 years of age and older simply die. Is that the future for us here? That is one of the possibilities. And that's why anybody who's listening to this, if you are some young person who thinks, well, I've heard that this is worse for old people and it's not so bad for me. If you don't want that, you have to do all of these things, social distancing, obsessive hand washing, extreme care. I mean, we have a culture that's more like Italy than it is like Korea. We have our laissez-faire attitude about a lot of things, and it's a great strength of our society. Um, but for this, um, that's where we could be likely going, because you think, well, what are, what are all, what's all the infrastructure that protects us against that? It's our healthcare workers. 
it's our hospitals, it's our EMT and fire and police. Um, but as this thing spread, more of those people are going to be taken out of the game. I mean, China had 17 years to learn from SARS. They set up their specialty hospitals for this. And so many of their doctors and nurses were infected because of the nature of this, uh, of this virus. So this is really serious. It's easier to put out a stove fire uh, than a kitchen fire, than a house fire, than a city fire. So let's do overkill now and maybe however long, a year from now, a year and a half from now, we'll say, oh, wasn't that crazy? We overdid it when we didn't have to. But now's the time to be smart and careful and do what feels like overdoing it. We'll be back with Jamie Metzl. You can follow him on Twitter at J-A-M-I-E-M-E-T-Z-L, advisor to the World Health Organization, technology futurist, author of the highly acclaimed book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering, and the Future of Humanity. Back with him, back with you right after this. advisor to the World Health Organization, technology futurist, and author of the highly acclaimed book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering, and the Future of Humanity, Jamie Metzl. Jamie, thank you for holding and welcome back. My pleasure. Thanks, Leslie. When you talk about us being um, where Italy is, I know another concern that my husband has relayed to me as a physician is that we won't have the beds. Um, what can we do when you say that we will be where Italy is because it will be? We are right now where they were two weeks ago. Is there anything in the next two weeks we can do to improve upon the situation we're seeing them face? Yeah, I mean, that's why there's talk of all these emergency plans. I mean, here in New York, um, there's talk of, of closing down at least one avenue and building a tent city um, where kind of like we have at the end of the, uh, of the New York Marathon, and for big events and and building new essentially um, field hospitals, um, there aren't enough ventilators. I mean, there's this really, um, there's so much that is going to need to happen. We're going to have to surge, and we're going to have to come together. I mean, at a time like this, there are all kinds of forces that can pull people people apart. And frankly, we have a government um, that has had a strategy of dividing people, of pitting people against each other. And we all need to come together. It's going to take everybody, the government, um, the, the private sector, just regular people, people looking out for, uh, for one another to get through this. We're going to get through it, uh, but it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And we need to start preparing for them. Containment. It, it, talk to us about how important um, social distancing is with containment. And one of the things that bothered me is in the press conference today, you see all the people on the podium and the president not practicing what they're asking us to do themselves. No, it's crazy. So we, we containment is essential. And there's two things of, of containment. One is uh, the original, what we should have done and, and we just weren't able to do because our surveillance was so terrible. Uh, when there's small individual cases, you isolate, you trace 
all of the the uh, people who the that one person who you know is infected may have touched and you try to contain that way. Now we're at this phase of social distancing where basically we're trying to slow the spread of the virus because as you know, Leslie, uh, viruses, um, they don't have wings, they don't have legs. Uh, their only way of getting around is through hosts. And we humans are a super host. And the way they connect is from one of us to another. And if we can break that barrier, we can slow the spread of this virus. So when people run into, I'll, I'll give you an example. Amazon's not delivering food right now. Neither are the other food delivery services. When people say, but, but I have to go get my medicine at the pharmacy or I have to go get food or I have to get, you know, gas in the car. Um, you know, uh, how, how do people, if they're not having symptoms or haven't come in contact with anyone or haven't traveled abroad, are, do you recommend they quarantine as well? Or do you yeah, say just, we, do, just do the best you can? I have two well, kids at home and I, I had to go to the supermarket yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And we had no food. People have to eat. Uh, and so what I would say is ask yourself, the, the goal is to minimize those contacts. So before, uh, if you're somebody who went shopping you know, a few times a week, just go once a week. Um, try to go at a time when it's not crowded. Uh, you know, make sure you, you know, fill up your car all the way with, with gas. I mean, we, we have to move. Life goes on and we have to live. Um, but for now, and it won't be forever, um, we should minimize the chances of both getting something and spreading something. And that means we also need to be, as everybody now knows, obsessive about hand washing, hygiene, and we need to make sure that we are protecting our elders uh, because uh, kids um, have proven, at least so far, um, better able to resist the, the more uh, dangerous um, uh, uh, manifestations of this, uh, of this virus. And so we need to make sure that we're protecting our elderly because there could be an asymptomatic child who could infect either an immunocompromised person or an older person, and it wouldn't harm the young person, but the old person um, could have a terrible outcome. want to ask them um, about traveling. Uh, there are people out there uh, that are still, I know, going to go on spring break with their kids because they're going to places where there is no coronavirus. Uh, parts one, of Mexico, parts of the Bahamas. People have no idea whether there is or isn't coronavirus in those places. We just know that it hasn't, that there hasn't haven't been positive tests for coronavirus. And so I see that as like, if you have to travel for something essential, by all means, do it. And again, life, life goes on. You need, we need to be careful. But just going for spring break, um, in my mind, that's pretty risky without an upside. Um, and yes, we our mental health is really important, um, but we, we just need to be extremely careful, at least until we know what we're facing, until, at least until we learn enough about treatments. I mean, you wouldn't want to take an unnecessary risk have some terrible outcome, either to you, your kids, your parents, or whatever, and then say, yeah, but it was a really great 
vacation, the, the margaritas were delicious. I, mean, I, I just think we need to be really smart and really careful. And then let's laugh about it in, in a year or a year and a half. And let's go on 50 vacations um, at that time. Two, uh, I mean, so many questions. When, when, when people, you know, when people say to socially distance, what kind of a period of time are, are we potentially looking at? What, what are you recommending? Because, you know, right now everything's closing for two weeks and then schools right. are tacking on spring break. But there are a lot of parents yeah. out there, myself included, thinking we're probably not sending them back till September, which, of course, makes many of us parents want wine delivery very fast. Yeah, exactly. So we don't know. I mean, is there some chance uh, that things can um, start moving back to normal in late summer? We don't know whether this virus is seasonal like the flu. Um, we don't know if it would come roaring back once the weather changes. We don't know if it'll find haven in, in places north of here or south of here in that, um, in that time. So best case scenario is probably a few months. Worst case scenario is we have to live this way for maybe until the end, end of next year. Uh, and the thing is, it, we, it, it, this, we have to do everything we can, um, but just what, what we would like may not be what, what happens. And we all have this bias that's built into just the, the biology of our brains that everything's just going to snap back and life is just going to snap back to where it was. But life doesn't always snap back. I mean, right. life, and, and, it's going to be different. Absolutely. It, it, it's scary, too. We weren't prepared for this. Jamie, you're awesome. Follow him on Twitter at Jamie Metzl, J-A-M-I-E-M-E-T-Z-L. He's advisor to the World Health Organization, and he wrote that great book, Hacking Darwin, Genetic Engineering, the Future of Humanity, out in paperback in April. I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>